We are in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians. We've been going through Thessalonians Thessalonians all summer. Uh, So we are almost done, chapter 2 of the second letter. Uh, And we have got some ground to cover today. We've got some nice light topics like the man of lawlessness and deception of the masses and... Um, how we can prevent being deceived. So, you know, nice, light, airy stuff that's really easy to get. No, it's going to be a little intense, but I'm going to try to ease it a little bit. It's going to be good. It's all stuff that Paul felt the Thessalonian church needed to hear, and it is all the more important for us to be familiar with all of this stuff. So without any further ado, let's go. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be taken from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for the For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming." The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth and had pleasure and unrighteousness. Now there's a lot there, there's a big chunk of scripture, but the big thing at the beginning, one of the things that has happened in the Thessalonian church is somebody has come, they have brought this false letter at one point, and false teachers have risen up within the church, and they're teaching a message that's contrary to what Paul had taught. And basically what has happened is the Thessalonian church has been convinced that they missed the coming of Jesus. That Jesus has come, he has already been returned, he's already reunited himself with the saints, and they've been left behind. You can imagine this church in the heart of its persecution, when its hope is in the fact that Christ has not returned yet and has not restored things. This would be absolutely terrifying. This would be such bad news because they have been so ferociously persecuted and now they're like, and it's all for nothing, essentially. We've missed it. We've missed the coming of Christ. We're left behind. It's not, and Paul's like, you guys, this is not us. Because we, one of the things that he's able to teach them was this, that they're, even though the coming of Christ was imminent and it was, it was, we should live in light as if it could happen at any moment of any day. And he taught them that and he's teaching us that. He says, even if it is imminent, there's still things that need to happen. 
Paul taught it. Jesus said there are certain things that need to happen before the return of Christ. And so and one of the things that has to happen, Paul talks about, is this great rebellion and the man of lawlessness, the lawless man. And this lawless man has many names. He's been taught not only in the New Testament, all throughout the Old Testament. The prophets talked about this man Daniel called him the abomination that causes desolation. Throughout the New Testament, Paul calls him the man of lawlessness. But one of the names that, if you've come, grown up in church, one of the names that you've probably heard him called is the Antichrist. This man, and it was so vivid, Daniel's description of him, Paul's description of him, it is so in line with one another, it is so vivid, so descriptive, that it's, gotta, it's almost for sure that this person is coming. It's almost the same detail that they describe the Messiah. They describe this Antichrist, this one that is opposed to Jesus. And the idea of the Antichrist is he's going to be this great political, and I say he because all the prophecies, everything, always says he. He will be this great political figure. He will be so influential, so popular, so, so powerful that he will convince the masses that not only is he greater than all the false gods, but that he is God himself. He will sit in God's temple, he will establish a throne, and he will say that I am God incarnate. Essentially saying, I am the new Christ. And it's so big, and it's so impressive, and he's been empowered by Satan himself to do deceptive things, to do false miracles, to do, perform wonders that is going to be so convincing, so amazing, that many people will be bought into this deception. They will buy into this lie and say, yeah, he's got to be, because look what he's doing, look what he's saying and one of the questions that the New Testament authors and even Jesus himself asked that when this great deception comes, is it possible that God's elect could be deceived? Is it possible that those who have been sanctified, those that God has set apart and forgiven and create, made holy, his saints, his selected, his beloved, when this person comes in all of his power and all of his words and lies, is it possible that those who believe in Jesus could be duped? Because when we sit here and we talk about it and we discuss it, we're like, oh, no, no, it'll never happen. I'll never get taken in. I'll never, I'll see it a mile away. I'll know exactly who. But Paul's like, no, 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 it's not going to be that obvious. It's not going to be like, you know, neon lights, Bad guy, bad, stay away, don't listen to him. It's not going to be that. He's going to be cunning, he's going to be subtle, but he is going to convince, not just, and we're not just talking about a nation, we're not talking about like all of Canada is getting duped by him, we're talking about the world. And at a time when he was writing this, it would have been like, yeah, right, like somebody could convince the whole world that he is God. But in today's day, and how quickly information gets passed at how quickly we find out about some new thing or some horrible happening across the world across the ocean it's like okay yeah everything is in place this guy whoever he is wherever he is and if you've ever watched left behind or the prodigal project you know we got all kinds of theories jumping around but 
at some point before the return of Christ, somebody is going to going to rise up and he is going to be set apart. He's going to be smooth talking, convincing. He's going to be powerful. He's going to do signs and wonders. He's going to make sure the world can see it. And one of the interesting things I read as we got lots of commentators that have their opinion on this. He says one of the things that stands out is this whole idea of false signs. Because when Jesus was walking around performing miracles, he said he never did a point, Jesus never did a pointless miracle. He never wasted a miracle. There's always a point, there's always a lesson, there's something to be done for the kingdom of God that would be like, yes, okay, this is all part of the plan, this is all good, but this guy's just going to do it, and it's going to be like, why? Why would you do that? What is the, but it's just a display of power. And the question is, could we as believers be duped? Could we be fooled by this person? And it's a scary question. It's a scary thing to think that somebody could come along and convince the faithful in Christ to stop following Christ. Until, very recently, a very prominent um, Christian leader, pastor, student of society, student of people, came out and he said, the vast majority of people, your worldview is three questions away from complete collapse. Because there's so many people, they are passionate, they love, they are pursuing things that they don't fully understand. And they are three questions away from a complete collapse of their worldview. And if that is where we are at as a society, and that should challenge us, okay, how many questions would it take to like, throw me off? Three questions away. If that's all it takes, then we are primed and ready as a society, as a nation, to be convinced of anything. So this is scary. This is like, okay, the stage is getting set. You watch the times. You watch what's going on. Before Jesus comes, there will arise this person. And I love Paul's description of him. He has this great big long. He's going to be powerful. He's going to be. And then verse 8, he says this about him. He says, then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with his breath. And nothing of the appearance. And to bring to nothing by his appearance. Paul says, as amazing as this person is, as influential and powerful and convincing, when Christ does return, he's going to be nothing but a breath compared to our Lord and Savior. Jesus is going to just annihilate, and not just defeat him, but bring him to absolute nothing. That no matter how strong we may think and no matter how influential people may think they are, Jesus is so completely all-encompassing, unbelievably more powerful than even the most influential person in the world. It's amazing. It's exciting. And that is just his calm. He's like, don't be worried. Don't be like, oh, this person's going to be so powerful. Oh. He's like, don't worry. Jesus is going to come. He's like, bye. Like a candle. You're gone. See you later. Nice. Thanks for coming out. Um, 
which is good news, because, and it's not just the Antichrist that he's going to do that with. Jesus is going to come, and when his injustice and his power is revealed in the world, all the injustices, all the wrongs, all the sickness, everything that is wrong with this world, Jesus is going to be able to take it all away with a simple, and that is the good news. That is why our hope is in the return, the coming. It has not happened yet. It is still coming. There are things that we be watching for. But Jesus could return any moment. And we need to be ready. And we need to be waiting. And we need to be living in light of the fact that we could be reunited with him at any moment. But Paul says, Paul unpacks this great deceiver, this antichrist, and he, next section of the chapter, he's like, you know what, but this is how I know that you as the church won't be tricked. This is how I know that you as the believers are going to remain faithful, despite how impressive he's going to be, despite how convincing he's going to be, despite the social pressure as he convinces so many in our communities, so many in our country, you will resist for these five easy reasons. (laughs) Easy, I say. Five reasons. So starting in verse 13, this is what Paul says to the church. He says, we ought always to thank, give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this, he called you through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm. Hold to the traditions that we that you were taught by us, either by our spoken word or by our letter. So Paul, in that short little thing, he says, I am... I give thanks for you. I am confident that you will not be taken in by this. And he says, these are the reasons why. Number one, you have been saved. Paul writes in the Ephesians that when we commit to the Lord Jesus Christ and declare him to be our Lord and Savior, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are sealed away. He said because of your salvation, you won't be tricked. The Holy Spirit will protect you. He will redeem you. He will guard your mind. He'll guard your heart because it's not just the intellectual things that are going to swing people. It's going to be the emotion. It's going to be the the heartfelt cry. He said, I'm going to guard your heart. I'm going to guard your mind. I'm going to guard your spirit so that you will not be guarded because you've been saved and not only have you been saved you've been sanctified Paul says you've been sanctified by the spirit and what sanctification is is you have been made holy but you are daily being refined being daily being made more holy the Holy Spirit is moving and active and challenging sanding off the rough edges and when we say that we are sanctified we are not just talking about holiness of our actions holiness of our words but holiness of our thinking that as god is moving and the holy spirit is active he is working in our minds removing the lies removing the deceptions so that it is only his truth that remains and that is a daily process it's not like because if it takes if it's instantaneous sometimes we take it for granted But if it's a process, we can appreciate the process. We can appreciate the time and the effort that got us to where we are so that as we are being refined and as we are being sanctified, we're like, wow, look at the journey I've been on and look where I am and I can't wait to see where we're going. And so it's a daily thing. Holy Spirit moving, changing our heart, changing our motives, our attitudes. 
and changing our mind. He says, you are saved. You've been sanctified by the Spirit. He said, the third thing why I am not worried is your belief in the truth. He says, you have held to the Word of God. You have held to, and as long as we maintain. And it's the reason this book is so readily challenged. If we lose this, if the validity of it, if the infallibleness, uh, a.k.a. the inerrancy of this, is challenged and proven, then what do we have left? But this book remains the same. It has been It can be unchallenged. It is proven time and time again. It's not just the truth that is found in it that proves it. It's the prophecies. It's the things that God said were going to happen. And every time he says something's going to happen, it happens. And it's amazing and it's awesome. And so he says we need to believe in it. We need to trust it. And not just the parts that we like, not just the parts that make us feel good, but the parts that challenge us, the parts that make us uncomfortable. Because if we believe in all of it, we will not be duped. We will not be deceived. We will not, we won't stumble. But we need to trust it no matter what, because if we can trust parts of it, we need to believe that we can trust all of it, even when it's unpopular, even when it leads us to an opinion that is not well received. We need to hold this, because time and time again, kingdoms fall, but this remains. Societies transform every day things are changing but this remains constant so he says believe in this trust the truth trust the word of god hold on to it tightly he says because of these three things because of your saved because you've been sanctified because you trust and believe in the truth in the word of god he says you have been called by the gospel. You are not just saved and forgiven of your sins. You are not just taken away from your old life, but you are called into a glorious purpose. God has a plan to bring his kingdom on earth, to make things new, and you have a part to play. You're not just saved from sin, but saved for a reason. You have a calling on your life, and by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, You are now redeemed, made new, and you have a part to play. You have been called, and because of that calling, God will not allow you to be deceived. Because you have been set apart for good things, because you have been restored, and this call, whatever it is, I don't know what your calling is. I hope you do. If you don't, I'll help you figure it out. Um... But God is going to protect you because you have, you're going to accomplish great things for the kingdom. You're going to accomplish great things for his son and for the gospel. And so you have been saved, sanctified, believe the truth. You have been called by the gospel. And the fifth thing is you've been called for, by the gospel and you will enter into the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when it says glory, another word for that is the honor. Matthew says in many of his parables that when the master comes back and finds the servant being faithful, the master's response is, come and come into the pleasure of your, come into the pleasure of your master. Come into the pleasure of your Lord. And Paul's saying the same thing. When we are faithful, when we maintain, we believe, we allow the Spirit to do the good work, we live out our calling, we play our part in God's plan. He says at the end, when Jesus returns, you will come into 
the glory of your master. You'll come into the honor. You will come into the good pleasure of our Lord and Savior because you have been faithful. And remember, he's saying this to a group of people who are being ferociously persecuted. They are being violently attacked for their faith. And so this is good news for them. They're like, okay, I can hold on. I can stay steady. I can maintain the course because I know that there's good things happening. There's good things coming. And he says the same thing to each of us. There's tough times coming. We're going to be challenged. We're going to go through. But if we maintain and we hold to the word despite the cultural pressure to give it up, despite the pressure to walk away, despite our own sinful nature that consistently and constantly tries to draw us away from God's goodwill, if we maintain, if we stay faithful, we will enter into the glory, the honor, and the pleasure of the Lord Jesus Christ upon his return. And so for those five reasons, Paul says, I am not worried about you. But in order to stay within those five truths, he says, stand firm in these truths. Hold on to them. Declare these things over your life that you've been saved, you've been sanctified. I'm going to repeat it a hundred times so it gets stuck in your brain and every time you have a quiet moment, it pops up. You have been saved, you have been sanctified, you will believe the truth, you have been called by the gospel so that you will one day enter the glory of the Lord of the world, the Lord and Master Jesus Christ. Stand firm knowing that these things are true about you. Stand firm knowing that these things are going to enable you to do things that only God can accomplish through you. He says, in order to help you stand firm, maintain the traditions that I have given you. And when he says traditions, it's probably a better understanding to say the practices, right? So maintain your prayer life. Maintain a heart of worship. Maintain a heart, right? We talked about this in the last letter. Give thanks in all things. Pray in all things. Rejoice in all things. These are practices. These are things that are going to enable us to not be distracted by the hardships of the world, but to keep our eyes fully on the cross. And there's so many things, there's so many different practices. We talked about this in June. We've got fasting, we've got giving, we've got serving, we've got... And the reason that better understanding is traditions, and as funny as, as a quote-unquote Protestant church, so, many, so much of the Protestant movement was we're trying to get away from the Catholic church because they have too many traditions. We want to stay away from the traditions. And because we're Protestants, we don't have any traditions. That'll teach them. Except for the fact that those traditions are really good foundations and practices for us to maintain a strong faith. And not only are those practices good for you, if you create and make them into a tradition, they're things you can pass on to your kids and pass on to your grandkids and pass on to those that you have the privilege of mentoring and encouraging and building up in the faith. These are things that are like, I know this works and I'm giving it to you as my gift to make sure that not only am I staying strong, but you can stay strong. You can do the things that God has called you to. You will be able to stand firm and so maybe the big question today that we need to ask is what are those traditions what are those practices that you have that you have maintained that you're like you know what because of this i am not only maintaining my faith i'm not only just staying strong 
but I am growing, I am flourishing, and I can stand with confidence knowing that when this great deceiver, this antichrist arrives, he, he can say whatever he wants, but I'm not buying it. So what are those practices? What are those traditions you can pass on to your family and your friends? What are those solid rock things that not only help you maintain, but grow and flourish and thrive in the faith and the salvation that the Lord Jesus has given you? One more time. You have been saved. You have been and are being sanctified. You can believe the truth knowing that it is foundational, it is unchanging, it is infallible, and it will maintain its trustworthiness from now to the end of time. You have been called by the gospel, the good news that Jesus died and resurrected so that you could not only be forgiven, but you could accomplish great and glorious things for his kingdom. You have been called. And all of these things have happened because you have been invited to enter the glory and the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ, your master, your Lord, your king, and your God. Stand firm in these truths, and then the enemy can throw whatever he wants at you, and you will not be shaken. Let's pray. And as we pray, I'm going to pray the last two verses of chapter 2 over you. Every chapter in 2 Thessalonians, Paul closes with a prayer. And so I pray these things over you as we put into practice the good things that Paul has for us from chapter 2. So here we go. Verse 16, as he prayed over them, I pray over you. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace. Comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Heavenly Father, may we be established in your truth. May we be established in your presence. May we be established in your calling in our life. Father, I thank you that you did not give us, that you that you warned us of the things to come so that we would not be caught off guard, but that we would be ready. And we know that with each sign that you spoke of, you are one step closer to returning and making all things new. So Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts, fill our minds, continue to do the good work of sanctifying us, of making us holy and preparing us for the things you've called us to do. May we stand firm. May we rest and lean on those traditions and practices that have got us this far. And God, I pray that you would challenge us to maybe try a new practice if it's what would take us to the next level. It would help us to continue to grow. And I thank you, God, that you are the source of all comfort. You're the source of all peace. You are the one who speaks to our hearts and enables us to do great things. We love you. We give you all our praise and thanks. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.